0: Comes the rain, with my anger comes a tide. i Brennan Davis from Bedrock Games and the Bedrock Blog, and I'm here with Jeremy Bai for another episode of the Ruthless Blood podcast, and we're talking about wuxia films, uh, but also talking about how they relate to the game that we have coming out in December, Righteous Blood, Ruthless Blades. It's a dark wuxia RPG, and we've been going over all of the movies that we can on our list of films that we mention in the book, or occasionally any movie that we think is just relevant, even if it wasn't mentioned. But this is a film I believe we do call out in the book called The Kid with the Golden Arm. Is that correct, Jeremy? Is this one mentioned in the book? or? Yeah, this um,
1: one is in the book. And since we always forget to do this, let's remember to tell everybody you can, you can pre-order this book on Amazon or Barnes & Noble, pretty much anywhere. That you can get books online. You can pre-order it right now. You can go right and, to Osprey,
0: uh, too, the publisher Yeah, page.
1: and, and the, the publisher's website, Osprey. Um, I have a complete list of all of the... Movies that we recommend, including this one, on my website, which is jeremyby.com, and I think both Brendan and I have started blogging as well. So you can find my blog on my website, and then Brendan's blog. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what the URL is for the Bedrock blog. But... Just
0: the Bedrock blog. I don't know something Bedrock blog. If you type in Bedrock blog, you will find okay. the the website. Uh, I'm I'm a lot more ad hoc than jeremy about these things he's the (laughs) organized one i'm the disorganized one um so so you know i'll just uh you know just just google bedrock blog or bedrock games um and and yeah so today we did the kid uh the kid with the golden arm which is technically a venom mob movie it's a Chang chai film it uh it's it stars a lot of the venoms um i think what year was it made 1979 and you know so it's got Lo Meng is is kind of the bad guy in this movie. Uh, uh, Sun Chien plays the leader of an escort company who has some secrets that we'll get into and I should mention that there are spoilers here. Uh, Philip Kwok plays a, an agent uh, called Hai Tao, who's kind of an interesting drunken character uh, and you know has ties to the imperial government. Uh, lu Fung who's uh the, my co-host at uh, Wuxia weekend's favorite venom uh plays silver spear uh, who's kind of got like a I, I think we might want to talk about him too because he has an interesting spear that is um uh, that uh, can do exceptional things when he presses buttons and stuff and that's something that we have a lot of in our game um and uh i'm I uh jeremy are you are you still there there was a little glitch on your end
1: yeah, I wasn't sure if you dropped or I dropped, but in any case, I'm back.
0: Okay, all right. So, uh, so yeah. So, and and it's and it's got a bunch of the other venoms. It's got Helen Poon in it, and uh, it, it's it's just a I don't know. It it's a if you like Chang Che films and you like Venom mob movies, this, you're gonna you're gonna enjoy this. If you like old school kung fu movies, you're definitely gonna enjoy it. And if you like Wuxia, you're gonna enjoy it. I think this is I think that's the reason why I've never really heard a bad thing about this film because it's kind of got something for every type of martial arts fan, I think. Um, so, you know, whatever your flavor is, there's probably gonna be something here that you'll enjoy. And the basic plot is very simple. The government is tasked this escort company with bringing gold to people that are suffering from a famine or something. And and there's a gang called the Chi Sa Gang that's led by Golden Arm, who's the Lo Meng character. Uh, and, and they wanna get the gold. And there's all kinds of little things going on within the escort company. But most of the plot is just there to provide uh, a reason for some of the battles that occur and a bunch of different interesting scenarios that the escort company have to contend with. Like there's a there's a whole subplot about the the Chi the Sha, Sha game trying to poison them and they have to find a way to get around it and, you know, things like that. Um, so, you know, but for the most part, it's kind of a, you know, they got to travel from point A to point B and you know, it's the, it's the conflict between the escort company and the gang that wants the gold. That's interesting. And all the little devious things the gang does to get the gold, as well as some of the, uh, surprises that,
1: uh,
0: that arise over the course of the film. And there's also kind of like a love triangle, uh, somewhat in the movie. It's, it's not, it's definitely not the focus, but it's present. um, So yeah i don't know jeremy what did you think of this film
1: well i really liked it and in fact it really got me thinking about how i always say that i really like most of the stuff except for i think i think the only one i said i didn't like that we've talked about so far was bride with white hair Two. i think um but i always say oh yeah i really liked it and i think what i need to do is go to our list of recommendations and start coming up with some sort of like rating system for myself so that i can actually figure out which ones are my actual like top 10 or whatever you know it
0: might be interesting if you and i give each of our individual like if we do a siskel and ebert type thing with each of the movies i think that'll be kind of interesting because because we have disagreed on some of them and so you know not a lot of them but it might that might help people guide people because if they're like well i trust jeremy's opinion more than brendan's or vice versa you know it'll be a useful guide
1: um, I think that's a really good idea. We should do that because, uh, you know, our list is so extensive that it's, it's probably intimidating to anybody who hasn't watched a lot of the movies to go in there and just see so many movies and, and, and think, which one should I start with? We do have a crash course about it. Anyway, uh, the, what I was getting at was just, I really do like this to the point where I was thinking, man, this is going to be in my, one of my top, in, in my top 10 now, uh, Although I've said that for so many movies, I'm not sure. But the point is, I really liked it. I thought it had a lot of stuff in it uh, that I like about Usha and that we included in the game, which we're going to get into here. And, yeah, it's just it's a great movie. I did want to point out um, that I'm not going to get into language aspects, like I always say this, because it's just too complicated. But one of the things that jumped out to me in terms of the subtitles, because no, on Amazon Prime, which is where I watched it, it's dubbed. And uh, unfor- I don't like dubbed, I, I prefer to watch it in Chinese, but I couldn't get it in Chinese, so I watched it dubbed. They're just, there's always stuff that's going to get lost in translation, and everybody knows that. For instance, the gang, they just transliterated it as Qi Sha, but the name of the gang is actually the, the Qi means seven, the Sha means to kill. So this, it would, if I was going to translate it, I might try it, translate it as like the Seven Killers Gang, which is the same name as one of my earliest translations with Seven Killers by mm-hmm. Gu Long. Not that they're connected, uh, but the Qisha is actually a really kind of complex term that it's, it's translating it as Seven Killers isn't necessarily correct. Uh, I'm not going to get into the complexities of it now, but anyway, the point is there is some kind of loss in translation stuff. But overall, I did like the dub, and I, I think it was, it was, watchable and so in the end i i really like this one of the reasons why we're doing this movie i don't know if you remember this was because it got brought up in our last podcast and i mentioned something there is one thing i didn't like about the movie and i know that that you disagree about this but i did not like the costumes i just well, we can talk
0: about that. Let's. Well, before we yeah. talk about that, I just want to say one thing about the dubs. I think that they were good as well. They do suffer from the bad acting effect sometimes, and I think the worst place where it suffers is the Helen Poon character because she, if you hear it with the subtitles and in in the original Chinese, it just doesn't. She doesn't sound quite as ridiculous as she does in the dubs. But yeah, so you're going to say about the costumes? Because I think that's interesting.
1: Uh, well, yeah, and, and incidentally, I do want to track this down and watch it in. Chinese. The problem with it in Chinese is, as I mentioned before, although I do speak and understand and read Chinese, it's hard for me to understand dialogue in movies. Usually, they're talking really fast, and the the most important stuff, like the names of the techniques and whatnot, are not necessarily obvious when you just hear it. So I like to I like to watch it with English subtitles, even though I, I do read and speak Chinese, and it's hard to find them online with English with Chinese audio and then English subtitles. If you get them on
0: DVD or Blu-ray, you, that that's usually available as an option. Yeah,
1: unfortunately, I don't have any and our list is like 50 movies long, mm-hmm. so if I bought all of them on DVD, that would be quite an investment. Well, if there's anybody really, you, really you, rich out there who you wants didn't, to subscribe you didn't,
0: that... You didn't hear it from me, but occasionally people sometimes upload them onto YouTube when they get the DVDs. And right, you can, right. You know, <laughs> um, so. Anyway, jumping
1: back to the costumes, just like... <laughs> I don't mind when there's historically anachronistic, like not realistic costumes, but the costumes in here were just so over the top of like dangling golden chains and like crisscross fabric. It just looked like, I don't know, like something from a, an adult movie or something. <laughs> so, I just... so,
0: so I have to, I, there's a reason for that, which I should explain before we get into our debate over whether it's good or bad. It's a Cheng Che movie. And you, I mean, you you remember Cheng Che from the One armed Swordsman, which had a much more subdued costume uh, selection. But as he got deeper into the '70s, the costuming in the Cheng Che movies—I mean, they're usually described as homoerotic because I don't. Because one thing that you'll notice is all of the guys have like revealing costumes that like show off their pecs and their arm muscles, and the woman was. Pretty modestly dressed for the most part. She looked glamorous, but she was modestly dressed. And so, uh, the the reason is Chang. And again, you could call it homoerotic, but uh, you know. And we've talked about it on Wooshia Weekend, and it's a, it's a complicated topic. I don't think that that's necessarily a fair characterization of it. Um, but it is it is a deep and complex issue. We, I don't want to get into it here. But the the stated purpose of it is he's trying to highlight the masculine traits of the male characters because it's 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 consider I think it's called uh yang gang. It's like like staunch masculinity is how it's usually translated. And that's Cheng Che's whole thing. So um so just to provide context. But yes, uh definitely the cost the costumes in this movie are are not realistic at all, they're, they're sort of the opposite of the chainmail bikini problem, right? Like it's a it's it's the it's chainmail bikini, but applied to guys instead, right? And yeah, and so, right, so, uh, but it, I I have to say, like, number one, over time, I've come to I've come to like you know say okay, this is like I, I've come to appreciate this aesthetic because it's so unique. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, you're watching a Chang Che movie, and you can almost pin the date just based on what costumes he's selecting. Um, but I also the, some of the costuming is it's just kind of I don't know, it's it's very stylized, so it has a uh, it, it, I, I appreciate the sort of individual stylized stamp that the directors put on with their costumes. You know, my personal preference has always been more for Cho Yuan costumes because I feel that those are they're so, they're also not terribly realistic in a lot of ways. But they're, I don't know, they're a little bit more, uh, they're a little bit less ridiculous than the chang Chi style. I think, I think it's fair to say the costumes here can come across as ridiculous. I think that seems, is that your critique of them or is it something else? Yeah,
1: basically. And, and I am more of a fan of um, realism, I guess you'd mm-hmm. say. I mean, one of my problems is that I'm always the person, whether it's, whether it's um, a film that's portraying a, historical time period or whether it's a film based on a movie like you know Lord of the Rings or whatever I'm one of those people who's always like well wait a second actually in Lord of the Rings Aragorn blah blah blah, yeah, blah. I'm, I'm kind of exaggerating you're that
0: guy you're the guy yeah, that I'm we all right. hear in the movie theater
1: um, so but, and so in any in any case what I, I mentioned in, I have a video on YouTube um, for anybody that doesn't know I have a YouTube channel talking about primarily Chinese fantasy novel stuff and I have a video called Why Wuxia is Better Than Xianxia and mm-hmm. Xianxia is the like more fantasy, like, high fantasy, and Wuxia is more grounded in, you know, kind of history and reality. And one of the one of the reasons, oh, and incidentally, I have two videos: one about why Wuxia is better, and one about why Sencha is better. So I don't actually think one is better than the other. I'm just kind of kind of joking about that. But anyway, the one of the things I mentioned is that I, one of the reasons why I think Wuxia is is cool is because it ha- it carries the sort of like illusion, or at least the the feeling that it could be real kind of like Robin Hood, you know, you watch yeah. Robin Hood and he's doing all these crazy bow and arrow stuff and it, it's like something that could, ha- could I'm putting could in air quotes, happen in real life and that's what I like about Usha is that you kind of close your eyes and you think, you can imagine these, a lot of these things really happening in yeah. ancient China, so for me, these like super over the top costumes kind of break that and, yeah. and in the end, I, I, I still like the movie a lot and again, like I said, I'm probably gonna put it in my top 10 or top 15 or something, but If I could have it my way, I would prefer to see historically accurate costumes, and I think that would be cooler. But you know, that's just me.
0: Well, it's funny because I mean, costumes are a dividing line. I'm sort of torn because on the one hand, when I was younger, I was a history student, and I had that exact response. Like, I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast, but when Gladiator came out, I was um, I was really into Marcus Aurelius and that whole period of Roman history, and so I was super excited because I had written like two papers on the Meditations alone. And so I go to see Gladiator, and I couldn't enjoy it at all because I was so hung up on the historical details that I knew. Um, but that was also kind of a turning point for me because I realized if I don't, like, separate these two things, I'm never going to enjoy a historical movie again. So I, I sort of started appreciating uh, historical movies just as entertainment and not as history if that makes sense and that kind of that's kind of how I approach Wucha and so when it comes to the costumes the way I look at costumes like this and granted these ones are really ext- like there's much more of a of a over the top even potentially kinky vibe to these costumes but you mentioned Robin Hood and I would say it's kind of similar to how if you watch an old Errol Flynn movie the costumes are not realistic at all but they, they do add a flair that I can enjoy. Um, but I think, you know, some people like really, you know, historically accurate costumes. I think in general, I tend to prefer the more glamorous costumes over the. When it comes to Wuxia specifically. Um,
1: yeah, uh, you plus know, if, it, if it was really actually historically accurate, the costumes would probably be pretty boring, to be honest. You, well, that's
0: one of the things, like with a lot of the newer movies, like I, lo- I love a lot of the newer movies, but like when you think of a movie like Reign of Assassins, which I think has somewhat more. You know, maybe with the exception of the magician character, who's kind of over the top, the characters have more realistic looking clothing. Um, the clothing doesn't, I don't remember the clothing that much. You know, it doesn't stand out. But with this movie, the first thing I remember is the clothing. You know, like, you cannot, yeah. like, you know who Lo Meng's character is just by the way. He's got the, the armbands on and he's got like the, the, the leather jerkin. And it's kind of like there's like a motorcycle aesthetic. Right to like the character, you know, and and again that can veer off in all kinds of wild directions, but like, uh, but it helps you keep track of all the characters, right? And sometimes when I watch a newer movie, one of the issues I have is I can't necessarily track the characters as well because their outfits look a lot more similar to one another because they're abiding by just a more grounded, realistic approach, which makes sense. Um, But because Cheng Che can be like, no, this guy's gonna wear like all. All like gold studded leather, and this guy's gonna wear like you know an iron robe that's got iron lamellar plates on it. And this guy, you know, he just do whatever he wants to. Everybody looks so distinct. Like, you look at like the i the what's the guy's name, brass head, the guy with the big dome on it. It just it, the reason I love 70s woosha so much is because they just go crazy with the the costumes and the, the styles and the weapons, like the weapons aren't even realistic either. Like the weapons are just, we need like a really bright silver sword for, you know, this guy's thing. And that's what they have. Um, but, uh, but I, but I do think you make a good point. I definitely think if, um if you're grading this on realism, these are not realistic costumes and, and they're not realistic hairstyles in a lot of cases too. Um, yeah. To but, be fair,
1: I got, I, I should, I should walk back a little bit what I said. I used to be that guy, but I I also kind of had a revelation similar to you, where I realized if I go around expecting the Lord of the Rings movies to be exactly like the Lord of the Rings books, then I'm never gonna enjoy any kind of movies or historical either. So yeah, I I I I have since sort of like realized the error of my ways. And uh,
0: but the thing is, I get why you were thinking that because it's important to you. Do you know what I mean? Like it's like I like this thing, and I want people to understand it as it's meant to be understood. And so it's you know, it, it's like it, I, I think I think it was between that and when I went to I went to go see iRobot when that came out in the movie theater, and I remember there was I a group that. and 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 that was I don't think it was terribly um, terribly. Uh, uh, in line with the source material if i remember it's been a long time but there was a group of isaac asimov fans behind me that were being very loud oh. and i was sort of like oh is that what i sound like when i'm t-, you know like okay uh <laughs> yeah i mean like i'll
1: give you a perfect like I, I it's i sorry let me start over again i have sort of advanced to a, a higher level like you have mentioned or whatever a different level of being able to mostly just enjoy movies regardless of how accurate they are to an extent yeah. I think the perfect example is there's is two movies that I did videos about on, on YouTube recently. One is Mulan, yeah. and that movie has been getting just destroyed online by, like, everybody, from yeah. what I can tell. My reaction was, like, I didn't really hate it that much. Like, I thought it was, like, it was all right. It wasn't amazing. But Crash and Tiger, Hidden Dragon 2, I did a video about just destroying it, and I hated that movie with a passion because it did everything... just wrong in my opinion. So the point is, I can deal with stuff being, you know, not particularly accurate in terms of source material or history to a point. And then once it passes yeah. that point though, it ruins it for me. And at least with Kid with the Golden Arm, it, it didn't ruin it for me. I can deal with the, the funny costumes. But
0: I think I think it's a valid critique because this is a movie. If somebody is not familiar with Chang Che films and they see this for the first time, they're gonna be like, "What is up with these costumes? Like that is going to be your reaction. <laughs> do you know what I mean? If yeah. you've never seen it, so it's not like yeah. it's not like you're like just being picky here. Like the, these are, the these costumes are definitely at the very least an acquired taste for viewers. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I've just seen so many Chang Che movies. This isn't, like, even, like, the, this isn't even the worst of what he, you know, he, he's got movies with some really bizarre off. And if, if anybody's ever seen it, there's an even worse film that's not a Chang Che movie called, I think, Journey of the Doomed. Um, that incorporates, like, a Conan the Barbarian costuming aesthetic into Wuxia. And it really feels strange. Um, but, uh, yeah, the so, Mulan thing is, I haven't seen Mulan, so I don't. I don't know, you know, I see, I saw all the attacks from everybody on it, and uh, I was, to me, what, like, I've, very rarely does a movie get that much heat, so I felt like, oh, people must have just been, like, in the mood for a battle over this movie, if it's getting that kind of a reaction, because it was, like, everybody on all sides didn't like, like, it wasn't just like, oh, this one group of people doesn't like it, it was like, no, like, everybody people that normally disagree with each other heatedly about movies were in agreement that they hated this film. Uh. Yeah. I mean, I
1: think, you know, not to get too sidetracked, but I think it was uh, just kind of a perfect storm of little, uh, of certain aspects that different camps took issue with. And then Mm -hmm. it just, just, it was a perfect storm. And And I went into it assuming that I was going to hate it. Like, I really thought I was going to hate it. And in the end, it was just, I... I don't know. It wasn't the best movie in the world, but it wasn't the the horror that I was anticipating. So what I will maybe say... Maybe we can talk about that in on another podcast. Here, or here's I can probably talk about it for a long time.
0: Here's what we should do, because I, I have no interest in Disney movies at all. Like, I'm not going to see Milan, no matter how many times people tell me to. And I don't care about the cartoon Milan. I don't care about... I'm an adult. I don't watch Disney movies. You know, that's my opinion. And so... Um, but I would recommend to people that the 2009 Mulan, uh, starring uh, Zhao Wei, Vicky Zhao, is a very. It, I thought that was a great movie. I don't know if you have seen it or not, or if you disagree with me. But um, I haven't
1: seen it. I kind of want to. I think, in a nutshell, I think that the this this Mulan, the new one, it's obvious to me that Disney wants. I mean, it, it was obvious from the beginning. They planned to release it in China, and they wanted it to be hit in China. So it's not like. Crash and Hidden Dragon two, where it was just some random director that mm-hmm. kind of was like, Whoosh movies are cool, I'm gonna make one too, and then it just comes across as being just wrong in all aspects. The the new the new Mulan by Disney, like they they had to make it at least palatable to Chinese audiences. So there's a level of like cultural authenticity that is there as opposed to like I've seen people online you know, I think we're getting too too side it, that's okay but
0: We'll just finish what you were going to say because you were going somewhere. Just,
1: I I like I, I see a lot of people being like, this is obviously not real wuxia. This is not Chinese. And I'm like, Disney was planning from the beginning to have it be a hit in China. Why would they make some movie that Chinese people would obviously like see as being not Chinese? It doesn't make sense. So of all the problems the movie has, it doesn't come across, to me at least, as being a fake wuxia movie or a fake portrayal of Chinese culture. I mean, it's not... Historically accurate, in by any stretch of the imagination. But well, the big problem of people that, wasn't
0: the big problem people had with it that like the the way that they dealt with chi and how like something yeah, about I, only girls aren't supposed to Qi, have chi. Like exactly. I forget ridiculous. Yeah, um, but uh, but also uh, yeah, we are getting sidetracked. But but my point is maybe you know maybe one day we can do the two thousand nine Milan because I, I thought sure, that yeah. was a good movie. Um, and you know, Vicky Zhao, I thought was really good as Mulan. I thought she was very believable because she's got these strong hands. Do you know what I mean? That just like, were really believable. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so uh, I think another thing that we probably want to talk about that's important and one of the reasons why I put this movie on the list in addition to it just being a good movie, uh, is the obsidian bat, the adventure that we have in the book is, heavily inspired by this movie probably a couple of other films that feature escort companies because they're pretty common but like i mean right down to like the the brass head guy is clearly where like the iron-headed badger concept or i mean they're different there's three of them they don't have like domes on their head and their whole thing is they kind of got stupid from using this technique because they're bashing their head as a weapon but uh which is like our little twist on it but uh but but like all kinds of details like that, the way that we kind of have the whole thing, we're like, again, and I don't, we're going to spoil some of the adventure content. So if you plan on being a player in Righteous Blood, Ruthless Blade, you might not want to listen now. If you plan on being a GM and buying the book to run it, then it's probably good to listen to what we're going to say. But the whole premise of the adventure is something from the very beginning isn't what it says it is right like there's a there's a big deception going on from the very, very early on and the whole the whole premise of taking the obsidian bat from point a to point b is they're actually doing the bidding of somebody who wants to get vengeance and the it's it's really being delivered as a weapon rather than as something that's supposed to be delivered and so and it's kind of a the the plot delib- the, the, the adventure concept deliberately strains credulity as much as humanly possible right like we had to really we had to like really go through it and be like how exactly is it possible that this happened when this person is doing this and and tie as much of that together as possible and this film has a similar thing where the head of the escort company isn't who he says he is and and it, and, and 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 really the, the the real head of the escort company is some other guy who's hiding inside the golden uh the carts with all the gold uh, who, who's really this guy named Ironfeet and, and, and it's all because he has a beef with the, the, um, the cheese, the Chisha game and who are the ones trying to take the gold. So it's just kind of like a, if you really stop to think about the plot, it kind of breaks down type of thing. But in the moment of watching the movie, it's all fun and exciting as it unfolds. Like, would you agree that that's sort of a, uh,
1: yeah, I mean that's that's totally true, and I I was not I was watching this um, leading up to my daughter being born, um, and so that was also in COVID lockdown with my kid, my other kid, my four year old being home from school and whatnot. My point is just I was watching. I think it fits and starts like mm. ten minutes here, fifteen minutes there. So I wasn't really paying very close attention to all the moving parts. And so when the like big twist comes, the guy jumping out—I was definitely totally like, "Whoa! Like, what's going <laughs> on?" Like, I don't know if it would be possible watching it uh, for the first time carefully to like to pick up on that. I, I, maybe you can in, enlighten me. I'm not sure if it was foreshadowed or if that just came out totally out of nowhere. No, it was
0: foreshadowed. They foreshadowed that something was up. It's just that when you stop, if you stop and think about what he's doing and why and how, and you're like, so much has to come together. Exactly. You know I mean, it, and, and I'm not saying that's bad because I think I think one of the things I like about Wushu movies is they kind of hand-wave that stuff more than a lot of like American movies do. A lot of American action movies might, and it it, it just makes you, you 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 get okay. This is just meant to be a fun twist. Don't think too much about it. Um, but they do foreshadow it. Like for example, uh, there there's a point where two two of the men from the escort company die who try to take the gold or something and and they're like wait how could any of them snuck in and done this because you know and so and, and, and it's it's obvious that there's an inside person and it's the head of the escort company He's like well i don't have any traders inside my organization so you you know and i think there are a few more moments like that to the film so they definitely they definitely do their work to do that it's just that like any really elaborate scheme you know, it it it, it 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 strains credulity, which is what I like about yeah. it, and that's what we kind of tried to do with. We, oh, go ahead. Uh,
1: the Obsidian Bat. We you know we don't copy that, but it definitely comes across because the uh, the initial the the kind of the mystery element and the plot twist element that you're talking about is if you start really thinking about it, it it's going to be hard to really make it believable. it's, it's not impossible, just you have to really explain it with yeah. um, nuance to make it come across mm-hmm. right. We kind of wanted it to just be, sim- not just this movie, Kid with the Golden Arm, but it, just Wuxia in general. There's always, okay, sorry, not always. There's so often these dramatic plot twists where suddenly something you know, turns around that's not as it seemed. We really wanted that in there, so, th- yeah. so it, it has that. I think the adventure in general is a good mix between a sort of a linear, storyline that a beginner game master could easily run because it, it's, you know, the bodyguard or the escort company um, plot is basically take item A from point X to point Y. It's pretty yeah. simple, uh, but there is room for a lot of complexity. So we, we had a good balance, I think, between the, uh, making it easy for a new GM to, to just pick it up, pick up the system and go, okay, your characters start out uh, here and they're going here the next day, they're going here the next day but it's complex enough and we have enough extra yeah. stuff that a an experienced GM could really turn this into a a complex campaign or at least yeah. a multi-session, you know, uh, plot-heavy adventure. It really yeah. just depends on the the style and the experience of the GM.
0: Yeah, and and we int- and so the adventure is is definitely meant as an introductory adventure. It's meant as an introduction to Wusha, as an introduction to the game system, as an and, and as you said, as an introduction for potentially new GMs even. So so it's not going uh, we had another adventure in the book but we ran out of space so we couldn't include it it's going to be a PDF and that kind of gets more into what might be more reflective of like my natural style of doing adventures and this one is more we need to give you kind of a uh uh a guided overview of of a, of a sample adventure and this is uh the purpose but we but one of the things we wanted to do is we wanted to get some of these crazy wusha elements in there and and the bigs and so basically the players are hired to transport this obsidian bat. It's kind of like a sensor or a brazier, uh, and uh, by the Hondan Escort Company to um, to Sword Goddess, which is a character that Jeremy created, if I recall. So it's funny sometimes I get confused. I'm like, does Jeremy make this character? Yeah, I, but that that's what funny. I know is yours. That's what I uh, and. And and so she's kind of got a cool internal based sword style, right? That's her whole thing, and and she's arrogant like a lot of you know uh, high rank swordsmen in the martial world like this would be, and she's got a beef with another character in the setting named Xilijuan, and and whose name I probably just butchered, and Jeremy can correct when I'm done. But when they but the whole purpose of transporting this obsidian bat. To Sword Goddess is because the head of Han Don Escort Company had his legs cut off by somebody, and much of his men massacred by a woman that he believes to be Sword Goddess. And it's a very complicated, you know, story. I don't want to get into the backstory here, but suffice it to say, he has a beef with her as well, and so he's he's replaced the Obsidian Bat with an explosive device that will disrupt her ability to use her internal energy, and his hope is that the explosion will kill her. And if not the explosion, then the, 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 the fight that ensues when the escort company brings it will lead to her death. Um, and so that's the, the overall plot. And, and, and again, it's, it it is ridiculous, but it's supposed to be ridiculous. And that's one thing I wish we had kind of said in the book that we, we didn't say, um, is it's, it's meant to capture the exact kind of twist that you see in the kid with the golden arm. That's exactly what we were going for. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, and you know, hopefully we got to that same level. I don't, you know, I don't know if we did, but that was our goal. And, uh, and, and, and I think also, you know, the other thing about the kid with the golden arm, because we knew we had, like, like you said, it had to be kind of a linear sort of sample adventure. And, and that's like, I, that's always like the thing I don't want to, like the last thing I want to make. Like you had to talk me into it. Do you know what I mean? And once you talked me into it, I was like, okay, I get why we're doing this. But what I realized was just like how the kid with the golden arm has a really simple structure, but you can layer on all these kind of interesting, complex things. We were able to do that in this adventure too, with with characters like the Iron Tooth Bat King coming after it, and all you know, all these little things that can kind of unfold and happen over the course of the journey. Um, So you know, it's it it has a lot of the same kind of potential that Kid with the Golden Arm has. If you watch Kid with the Golden Arm. I think it'll make you a much better uh gm for this sample adventure i think that would be a a really good movie to watch if you intend to run the obsidian bat that comes in the rule book
1: yeah i would say uh, for GMs that are planning to run it it's like almost required watching maybe yeah. i think that it, i agree with everything you just said i just wanted to add that i actually think it's a, even more complex than i had I guess you could say what I'm trying to say is that like beginning adventures like for instance for like Dungeons and Dragons or something are just so simplistic I think that it's definitely very easy for any GM to run them but uh, even a a, but a beginning GM is still going to have to take some time to digest this and really plan plan it out and especially the hook we didn't really get into the hook very we mentioned like how to how to bring the characters in but we didn't go into a lot of detail it. I don't remember if it was this one or Pledges of the Harbor where you suggested to me, oh, why don't you you know why don't you try making like a new GM like you know guided to it? And I kind of started to do that, but it just got it got too complex too quickly. Yeah. The the one of the the so so the the hook is difficult for new for new GMs because we don't really explain how to bring the characters into a situation where they're getting recruited. I mean. Any GM who has any experience could come up with that easily. I think if you're new, it's, you're going to have to put some time into it. Another thing that we don't go, go into too much detail with, which again, for experienced GMs, I don't think it's a big problem, but for new GMs, they might be kind of confused about how to handle the actual twist. Because if you don't handle it properly, it's going to completely fizzle. Yeah. Because the, the bat, I think, you, as you mentioned in the spoilers, the bat is a trap. and the, there are many different ways, depending on how the players, you know, make their decisions, that that bat could be revealed to be a trap. They might set it off. They might, you know, it might happen in their presence. It might happen outside their presence. Yeah. And so depending on how it all works out, it could it could fizzle. I, so the GM needs to think about and plan how that's going to happen. I so,
0: think I ran one adventure where it actually went off on Iron Tooth Bat King because he successfully stole it. Somebody stole it and ran off, and it exploded on them. And and, uh, and then the party line, went... it
1: worked out pretty good because the, the players made it all the way to her. They handed it to her personally, and then they chose to stay at her... Uh, headquarters overnight and then she set it off in the middle of the night so for them it was like this big boom it led to a dramatic chase scene it was all very cool it all worked out perfectly well
0: I, i i did another one where it ran up to that point except it set off when they presented it to her like she i think she lit it in their presence um but the one where the would deviated where Iron Tooth Bat I don't know if it was him, but somebody like him or him took it and like ran off and then they just heard an explosion basically. And then they tracked him down. They found him on the ground and the you know the thing. And what was cool about that one is then they were like, wait a second, this escort company totally, you know, pulled the wool over our eyes. Let's go confront them about this. And so they go and they march on the escort company, they're like, Hey, you have to explain to us what's going on here, or we're gonna kill you type thing. And 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 so what ended up happening was the, and I think I even mentioned this in the in in, in, in a portion of the adventure. Like, you know, if, 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 if this sort of thing happens, like, this is kind of how I'll we'll react. I know there's something in there related to this. But he basically was like, well, look, I have this, like, real beef with this lady over this issue. Like, you know, it was like, look, my legs are gone because of her. And I really want to get revenge. And I'll, like, double your pay if you agree to stay on and, like, help me enact this. You know, like, it, it was, it, it's sort of the... Uh, he, if, you know and again I think I think um I think it's a good technique for if a G- beginning GM is trying to run an adventure like this if something like that happens to kind of go with it and if you're playing a character who's on the receiving end of some heat from players like this to play the character the way that you would probably act react in a situation like that like you're not gonna you're not gonna like you know uh, you're not just gonna escalate it immediately to a conflict, you're gonna try to think of a way to To regain the trust of the players, and so um, you know, so I thought that was kind of cool when it when it when it went that direction, and they you know, and so you know, it still ended up working. Uh, but but again, I think that's one of the, the one of the easy things about having a linear adventure for the beginning thing is if it does go off track, you don't have to think too hard about where you know how to get it back on. Do you know what I mean? There's only it's a fairly simple adventure scheme, so.
1: Um, One thing I I do like about how we set it up um, for the experienced GMs is is the map, because the map um, includes a lot of outlying cities and locations uh, that a GM could use. Uh, And another thing that we, and I think, again, we we probably ought to do a, I, I plan to do like a YouTube video or something specifically about this adventure, or maybe we could do it on a podcast as well to go into some of these details. But basically... Um, There's a lot of outlying cities and locations, so a GM could easily make it a little bit more complex and all of the locations that we have on the map are um, Historical but at the same time we picked the modern names for them. Yeah, which basically means that it's really easy In fact, I think everything in the the book is like this and I I really like this aspect um, in general is that you can uh, Google just about any location and come up, go to the Wikipedia page, yeah. find it on Google Maps, and very easily figure out, like for instance, how long does it take to walk from one location to another using Google Maps? You can get history of a location on Wikipedia, and very quickly, GMs can come up with a lot of good hooks, background information to expand out the adventure. So if, a, if, an, if an experienced GM wants to make this into a nonlinear, like more complex adventure, or if the players themselves, for instance, Say well, we don't want to go down the main road to to Kaifeng and the Immortal Sword Manor. We want to do something different. Well, then the GM can say, well, there you know, there's a, another city called Puyang that's a few kilometers to the to the east uh, or to the west. You know, do you yeah. want to head in that direction or whatever?
0: That was actually one of the hardest things. I, we had like I think we had like three or four meetings about the names of the cities alone, right? Because we were the the maps we were going off of were not. We, we, we had a really specific location we needed and we were also, even though it's it's anachronistic history, we did have a specific time frame that we were working within. And, and so th- that limits what maps, uh, you know, in, in, in books and resources we have that we could use as a, as a foundation to work off of. And they weren't always ideal because if they were written before a certain date, they weren't in pinion. Do you know what I mean? So that created a problem. And then on top of that Over time some of these Some of these places that might have been cities At one time become like a You know a, a more extensive type of territory And the name expands to refer to a much larger Area and so It actually took a while for us to, to, to Pin down where some of the locations were And then for us to decide oh What name should we actually use for this place And then how should it be you know What's the, what's the pinion for it um, And I just remember us having a uh, a lot of discussions about that.
1: Um, yeah, we, def- we definitely did. And I, in the end, I'm pretty happy with how it turned out. I did a lot of research to make sure that, or to try to ensure that the historical map that we were working on is represented. But it, like, like you just mentioned, in the end, we essentially went with, the, for the most part, the modern names of the locations, yeah. because otherwise it would have been too difficult for a GM to find out information about them. Another factor that played into it is the fact that this takes place um, around the Yellow River and the course of the Yellow River changed throughout history like multiple times. (laughs) And so, but in the end, I'm happy with it. I I think in the current, so I'm playing a game right now, I'm running a campaign right now um, and I have been using Wikipedia and Google Maps a lot just because the players will, are doing things that I'm not expecting and going places that I'm not expecting and mm. I want to get information quickly about places or they might say, well, how long is it going to take for me to get from here to there? Mm. And like I mentioned, Google Maps can route you from one city to another and then tell you how long it'll take to walk yeah. or to drive a car. Or you know, we, we also have guidelines in the book in terms of how far horses can ride in a day and that, that sort of thing. So it just makes it really, really easy to... Uh, have a quasi historical or at least historical feeling um, setting that is easy to react to for a GM on the fly without having to say, okay, well stop. Let me, let's, let's take a break while I go pull out my world book encyclopedia and like look up, you know, ancient Shanghai or whatever.
0: Yeah. Historical atlases are helpful too. Um, the, uh, that's always a good tool to have in your GM arsenal. But, um, But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, but I, 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 and I think you were right because I was kind of hung up on the idea of let's use the original names from the original time period. But like I, but your your notion that well, how are people going to Google that? They don't have like I had a book, um, commerce and society in Song China, and it had a map in it, which was one of the maps that we were kind of drawing off of. And I guess it's great if they know to go to that map, or they have another book that has a map of obscure towns from a specific time frame that we don't actually pinpoint in the book for people. You know, so, you know, having the uh, you know, just having the modern name was 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 the right decision. Um that that I should point out, I had to be talked into. I was uh I, there there were there were, th- there were definitely some things I was talked into that later on I was like, yeah, that was that was the right decision. Uh, I mean, I don't know why I was so stubbornly resisting that suggestion.
1: Um well, but, same here. I think as we mentioned before, I think our different styles um, and perspectives kind of balance each other pretty well to come up with something that probably neither of us would have come up with on our own, and ended up, I think, being pretty pretty balanced in a lot of different ways.
0: No, I would agree. I think overall, the whole book kind of has that. Like the the, the tangents that I would have gone deep into are not present in this one. Do you know what I mean? Like it's it's a lot more streamlined as a result. Um, and just, I can just sort of see the, the way things were balanced overall because of our, our different approaches to this. And, uh, and I definitely in the adventures, um, where I have a tendency, uh, the, the most positive way you can describe my natural tendency to write adventures is I'm good at writing adventures with a lot of moving parts, but you know, that moving, that's, you know, they can be hard for for GMs to run. So my adventures yeah. are not the easiest things to run. And so but I just love having all these moving parts that do all kinds of different things. And uh I like
1: having I'm the kind who I I like to have a, a a whole bunch of stuff set up in a specific like I, I don't necessarily want it to be a linear or railroad by any stretch of the imagination, but I like having things planned out because I'm not as good as I'm not as good I'm not very good at improvising stuff that seems realistic. I like you know I like them to walk into the tavern uh-huh. and let's let's use Dungeons and Dragons as an example just yeah. to, to kind of I like the you know the players to to step into the tavern and I know already who the 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 tavern keeper is and like his background and I know who's the guy sitting in the in the shadowy corner and I know who all these people are okay. uh, but the the downside to that is that that doesn't always work well and for example the campaign I'm running right now I really wanted it to be similar to the Dragon Gate Inn or Dragon Inn movies. Um, there's a, there's a few of them: this, the 1960s one, the 1990s one. So I had this, I had this vision. Which, which one's I your wanted.
0: favorite? Out of curiosity, which one is your favorite out of that series?
1: Um, that's a hard question. I mean, the 90s one is one of the first movies that really got me into it. But I'm nowadays really getting sucked into the older ones and liking them more so at this point i would probably say the older one uh, is in 67 i want to say I, I can't remember specifically i forget
0: the year i think it might have been a little later than that i'll look it up but um that one's I, so I, great I, at, at building. i really did like that one it builds suspense is,
1: so I, I planned for this campaign which was essentially going to imitate that we have a location in the book called Auntie ying's wine shop and yeah. we have a map for it and everything so i thought well it's already created why don't i just basically have Dragon Gate in except in Auntie Ying's wine shop. And so I spent like days planning out like all of the people that would be like staying in the rooms, like when they were going to come and go and who was going to be sitting at the tables and what they're talking about and everything. And literally my players just completely didn't use any of that. They took a different path. They came early. They stayed in a different tavern. They they surveilled the location, all this stuff. So basically all of my planning was almost useless I was able to sort of do, like scrap some of it and use it in different cir- circumstances but anyway yeah so do, do sometimes you most, doing okay. all that planning isn't necessarily the best thing it
0: was 1967 by the way you were correct okay. and that that one is very good at building the tension as the fights are building up like the moments before the swords actually come out it's kind of like a gunslinger type feel um, but uh the the you, the secret I don't know if it's a secret but there is there is there are techniques you can use to improvise like that effectively, even if you don't find it easy. Cause I didn't always find it easy to do either. But what I, what I started doing is if the players are like, okay, we're going to go to the West and go to this town that you didn't plan for us to go to. And we're going to look for a wine shop as they're saying that I'm immediately thinking, okay, there's a wine shop there. What is the wine shop going to be called? Okay. What's going on at the wine shop? Who's there? Why are they there? Do you know what I mean? And then, and then if I think, okay, do I want to take an existing character and make things easy? I'll just grab some random person from the Righteous Blood book and bring them in. Like, you know, I could bring in Iron Tooth Bat King because I know who he is. And I could bring in the Iron Headed Badgers. And boom, I got some people. Or, okay, let me just think of a really weird thing that a person has. And, like, I, I start writing out in a notepad you know, what they're, you know, like so I'll be like, okay, you know, you know, uh, you know, Bucktooth Yan is going to be there. And then I got to figure out what Bucktooth Yan is all about, you know, and then you, and, and then you are like okay, well, Bucktooth Yan needs some kind of cool move. So I'll say he's got like, you know, the crippling crescent foot kick. And then I just write in, and, and, and even though that doesn't exist in the game book, I write out really quick mechanics for it, you know, and that's all I have on Bucktooth Yan, but like, that's enough for me to, and then like, I can kind of figure, okay, like, the character will just come to me because I'll be like Bucktooth. Yeah. And he's like, he's got buck teeth. He's probably like sensitive about it. He's probably got some kind of resentment towards the world. So he's going to be like, you know, but, but I also want to make something about him that's redeeming and like makes people, you know, make them want to, want to, want to like him in some way. So, you know, we'll, 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 you know, we'll, we'll give him some good quality on top of all that. And then, and then when the players get there, it just kind of organically emerges. So, I think, I think the trick really is just writing rough sketch notes as quick as you can. in a notepad before the rubber hits the road. And then you have that, even if you know, it doesn't have to be perfect, you don't, you, obviously you're not going to fully balance the, what did I call it? The crescent moon crippling kick technique. You know, it doesn't matter. It's just, it's just buck Yan who might die tomorrow. And the, the technique won't be in the book. Um, yeah, but-
1: I, I mean, I, I in playing with you, whether it was Ogre Gate or when we played in Rush Blood, I think you're really good at it because I never, whenever you're the GM, I've never gotten the sense of like, oh, he's just kind of making this up on the fly. I never, I, it always seemed like it was I was uh, navigating through an existing world mm-hmm. where everything really did exist, and I just happened to be coming across it. Um, I have played uh, in sessions where the GM. Like it's, it's obvious he's like you know like if you if the GM is like, you oh you're going in that building oh um well let me see here uh so um there's a guy there and then you're kind of like okay you're just making this up, up, up on the fly aren't you? One of the nice things about the Righteous Blood Sourcebook, which I have been using a lot, is the fact that we have so many NPCs of different levels. Yeah. And so in the PDF at least, all you have to do is if you know the way to do it is it, you can you can just search the document as in a PDF as a whole. And there's, we have one section on the NPC stat block, which uh, lists their, basically their level. So you can search by level, easily pull up a character of a certain level. They have a backstory, they have connections and everything, and you can pull them in. Or if you know, for instance, your players are level one, you might just go in ahead of time and be like, okay, let me find a couple level one, level two, or level three NPCs, and I'll just, I'll print them out, or I'll copy in their, their text or write down their stats, have them sitting there. And you don't even necessarily have to have a plan for when they're going to come in. You just have them kind of waiting there. And then when the appropriate moment comes, you have the guy ready, stats, equipment, everything ready to go. Okay.
0: No, that, that's a good technique. I use that all the time. That's, uh, you just use existing NPCs you have. But the other thing I'd say is it, the, the trick is to like think of it like, um, like, you know, Tolkien said, you don't create worlds, you discover them. If you think of it that way and you're legitimate, like what would be here? Then it's gonna be more logically consistent than if you're like, what do I need to make to be here? Like you know, like if you just try to think about it in terms of, well, who would be at a wine shop this far away from Kaifeng in the middle of nowhere? Like you know, and why would they be here? You know, and um, you know, and then and then you know you can, and and if you like build relationships, like uh, like okay, Batu I need to give him a redeeming quality. I'm gonna give him a daughter who he takes really good care of, is a protective of, and for some reason he's. Okay, I've got that relationship. He There's got to be a goal I can create that's growing out of that. Maybe he needs to get away from the Empire for some reason because of something that happened with him and his daughter. And you can kind of... I don't know. If you do stuff like that, you can create these... You can ground everything. And I honestly... I mean, uh, some stuff that players encounter in my game is definitely going to be prepared because I do prepare a lot and I have all my NPCs quite hashed out and I have my locations and stuff hashed out. But you're going to... Even if you, even if you, if the players go into a city, you have not mapped out every building in that city, do you know what I mean? Or every wine shop in that city, unless you're like crazy, right? Like, you know, <laughs> like, like, I mean, think, think of like, like I, I live near Boston and just thinking about Boston, how many restaurants are there in Boston? I couldn't possibly do a write-up and and obviously in ancient China, it's not going to be quite that extensive, but they still had a lot of restaurants. You know, how am I going to, how am I going to possibly do all that in advance? I'm not. So, they're eventually going to come upon a wine shop, and I'm going to have to fabricate whatever is in there somehow.
1: So, um, for anybody that has listened this far, I'm going to give you one of my super secret tips, which is so since I'm playing online, my computer monitor turns into my um, DM screen or GM screen, and I have like stuff taped all over the screen. <laughs> and one of the things I have taped on the screen uh, is a map of a city called Pingyao. That's P I N G Y A O. And Pingyao is a, uh, a historic, I think it's a UNESCO um, World Heritage Site, I'm pretty sure. And it's an ancient Chinese city, a walled city, still, that still has existed for like thousands of years or whatever. And it's maintained as a tourist destination, uh, but it has all of the reconstructed old buildings, temples and everything. And you can go there. So I visited there and it is just an amazing ancient Chinese city. Uh, Now, me having been there helps a lot because I can just kind of visualize, remember what it was like to walk around. But even if you've never been there, you can find maps of it in English with all of the different locations that are real life locations, temples and, you know, gates and whatnot. You can print that out, have that map there. And it works as a generic Chinese city for most cities. Um, And it it has, you know, a river by it, it has city gates, it has everything. So if you're, you know, anticipating your players traveling or something and, and you think they might go to some city and you don't have time to like pause your game to like go you know figure out what an ancient Chinese city looks like just just type in Ping Yao, ancient city map find an English one print it out and you can have it on file and then always you always have a generic realistic historically accurate Chinese city ready to go at any time
0: one of one of my secret weapons is um uh the Dieter Kuhn book on Song China which is um also, based on um, China on the eve of the Mongolian invasion, he uses a lot of the same material, and that kind of draws on other things, similar sources. But in the book, he has large sections that deal with um, shops and restaurants and things like that in the in the city. And so, a, a lot of t- it's one of the books I always go back to to just look at, like, oh, they yeah, they had they had this kind of interesting little shop here. Oh, they had like a they had a um, a polo society. That's kind of interesting. You know, like, I'll put a polo society in my game. Like, th- those kind of things are uh, are useful. So if you find a book that has good information, hold on to it. Another one that's really good is uh, Law and Order in Song China. I use that one a lot. Um, that just has a lot of information on constables and jails and crimes and things like that. Um, and that other one I mentioned, The Commerce in uh, Song China. Um, if I want to know about... Um, let me see. Just pick, like, a random good. Like, okay uh rice brokers what are rice brokers all about you read the section of rice brokers and now you get like 18 npc ideas on rice brokers and then rice shops follow rice bro you know it's just it's like an endless uh stream of things and it also gets into how commerce was conducted over the waterways and all this stuff um but yeah we mentioned
1: that one is mentioned in in the in the in the book as a recommendation. Yeah. I'll link to that as well. It,
0: that's one care. of, I mean, honestly, this is one, of, I probably use this book more than any other one. It's called Commerce in, in Society in Sung China. It's, uh, my eyes are bad, but it's by uh, Shiba Yoshinobu. I, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. And it's translated by Mark Elvin. Um, and it is one of these books that is not in, it doesn't use the pinion So, you know, if you're used to pinion it's going to maybe be a little confusing, uh, unless there's a later edition that maybe does that. But it's it's so useful because it gets into like how market towns work. It gets into it gets into so many things and it's organized in a way where it's like, OK, I just go to the cattle and fish section and I read up on cattle and fish. And it talks about the kinds of people that were involved in, uh, you know, in, in cattle and fish. It says there were three main varieties, namely yellow cattle, black cattle and water buffalo. And it just goes on and on. And, and you have all these kinds of details that are really great for incorporating into a campaign. And. And it's not so, I mean, some GMs would use this just to kind of give historical accuracy, which this is going to be great for. But I mainly use it just to get, like, you know, a good sense of flavor. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's my my main goal with this kind of book. And it's it's probably the book that I use, I mean, it's, I, I think that's possibly the book I use the most. Um, and it's, it's not that big of a book, um, but it's just got lots of great information in it. Um, I know that's quite a detour from what we were talking about, but I still think it's useful. Um, Yeah, we have a
1: lot of good tidbits in here. Um, Going back to Kid with a Golden Arm, though, what else were we going to get into?
0: Well, uh, do we want to talk about the movie itself and some of the characters? Like, uh, Were there any characters that you thought were great examples of wuxia characters or tropes that uh, you want to draw people's attention to? Yeah,
1: definitely. I mean, the the high character characters, especially because he, um, I think, is probably one of the perfect examples of how we envisioned the alcohol mechanic working. Mm-hmm. We left out, we did not put in the drunken master stereotype character. I mean, they even have drunken master in Dungeons and Dragons Fifth Edition. I'm pretty sure. So, I, I, I considering that, it's just, it's it's something that's been done cool. way too many times, in my opinion, and. It's, I think also the drunken master thing is, uh, number one, too influenced by the Jackie Chan movie, yeah. uh, which is not a wuxia movie. And also I think it's, it's not as common, it's not common at all in wuxia novels or movies to have a drunken master who specifically gets drunk and then uses the drunkenness to like, fuel his martial arts. So in, the, in here, Hai Tao was constantly drinking and he even used his little bottle as a fighting technique and whatnot. But and I he did use the mind,
0: drinking to make himself immune to poison and he did use it to spit on somebody too. That the, is true. Yeah. yeah. And
1: we did include a, an alcohol spitting um, counselor by yeah. the way, which is very effective and gross. But point is that like it, my sense was that he wasn't like Jackie Chan and Drunken Master yeah. where he had to get drunk to be able to be good. It was like he was just drinking all the time and was good despite that being drinking. Yeah despite being drunk. And you're right, he did use that. And we do the same thing in in the book where people have to have alcohol in their system to be able to do certain things. But if we don't have the drunken master, it's more like characters are uh, understood to be good drinkers. Like they, yeah. they can tolerate a lot of alcohol and they can get drunk. Uh, but I really liked his character for that yeah. aspect. And, and just his character in general, I think was a cool character as well. I,
0: I think what what the pro, the drunken master trope itself is fine like it obviously fits in the genre fine the issue is it's it's a very narrow it creates a very narrow understanding of alcohol in wuxia if that's the only way that it's ever expressed yeah and i think what you're saying is is useful here because like there's almost something like where the 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 alcohol is used in so many different ways with a character like this and you see it all the time it's used to highlight how skilled he is because he can drink so much and yet be so at ease and skilled it also kind of highlights his morality in a weird way because it creates this sense of detachment that he has from everybody else and the way that he does his good deeds is, is in this very detached way. Do you know what I mean? Like when he when he saves the guy who's been poisoned with sand palm and he just throws him into the into the oven and seals the door and the wife or the the lover thinks that he's going to be cooked to death and 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 it's 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 something that like only a guy who's that heavily inebriated could really get away with doing. Yet it somehow all works together. And so, uh, I, I think I think I think with that character it's more about the drinking highlights all of these interesting aspects about him. And it also suggests it suggests a backstory that we don't get as well. Do you know what I mean? Like 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 in the end like and, and the way that the movie does it is very seventies Shaw brothers where whenever he like most of the music in this movie, and the music is is worth commenting on its own, and a lot of it is just stuff drawn from other soundtracks, but, like, a lot of the main theme is this tritone, like, atonal melody where the bass is playing a note and the guitar is playing the tritones of those notes, which are very dissonant, and it creates, like, a real sense of foreboding and unease, but whenever that character shows up, it's always this chirpy, Mozart-like melody that's kind of funny. Do you know what I mean? And, and, uh when his last scene in the movie, uh, they're kind of building up this, this love triangle between him, the Helen Pooven character. I think her name was Mrs. Lang and the swordsman guy. The, I can't remember his name, but the arrogant swordsman who he saved, um, who wants, who kind of wants to fight him because he saved him. And that, you know, messes with his sense of, uh, you know, people might think that I'm no good. And so he, it enrages him. Um, but in the end, that swordsman ends up dying and, and the only characters left, spoilers, are, are Mrs. Lang and, um, and, and the Philip Kwok character, the drunken character that you're talking about. And, and he's just kind of like, well, why don't you take the gold to town and I'm just going to go get drunk? And he walks off. Do you know what I mean? And like like you're expecting that, oh, they're going to get together as a couple now because it was kind of suggested earlier in the movie that, you know, because he said to her, I used to think wine was the only thing that was good. But now I realize like, you know, a a woman like yourself is what really is important. And by the end of the movie, he just either completely rejects that lesson for any way or he completely rejects her or he's just toying with her the way he was earlier. And he's like, well, I'm going to go get drunk now. Why don't you just take the gold to town? And... You know so you' kind of like, well, what's up with this guy like what what you know what's his uh, and, and and there's a lot of that in in Wusha especially in cheng che films where there's sort of a um there's a rejection of the woman or a rejection of romance in order to pursue you know martial virtues or a martial lifestyle in some way and um and so one of my thoughts with the alcohol there is well maybe maybe the only way that this guy can kind of cope with all of the things that, you know, that lonely road is, you know, led him to is he has to drink all the time because it just, you know, his life, you know, is he, how many people has he seen killed and butchered and how many people has he killed? And, you know, uh, so, uh, but, so, but anyways, the point is drinking is, um, is, is a really essential part of the genre and we made it an essential part of the game. And I think, I think you're right that this character kind of, he captures, something about drinking that is not it's something that you see in a lot of wuxia but it's maybe not one of the tropes that a lot of people are aware of who who maybe only know a few movies or something do you know what i mean it's, it's it's not hit the the popular broad culture as as much yeah so. i think
1: like i think you know the fact that there is i, I don't know what it's uh called in dungeons and dragons fifth edition it's not called drunken master but they basically have like that if, if i maybe i'm Maybe I'm, mine, maybe I'm I'm thinking of the wrong thing but I'm pretty sure they do I think one of the reasons that that's so prominent in the western or like gaming or like uh, the gaming um, world is just because of the popularity I I think it's of the drunken master 2 movie because there's a few others like there's like jet Li did drunken boxing in one of the, I think it's the fourth once upon a time in China movie if I'm remembering correctly and maybe I'm not and, and there's other movies, but that one is just so incredibly popular, Drunken Master 2. You know, it, I remember watching that movie before I even got into Wuxia, and, and I think it's created this sort of perception that that is, like, so super common and popular yeah. in the genre as a whole, when it, you're right, it's present, but it's not, that, like, well, that integral. Um, in any case, I just wanted to also point out, w- before moving on from Hightower, is that... I think it's I I whenever I watch these movies now after we've made this game I'm constantly thinking so what how would we how would I create this character in the game or could I and I think that it's possible that Hightower would have there's an eccentricity called heavy drinker and it seems to me he probably would have that and I also wanted to point out that even you know we do have alcohol as a big element in the game and it's 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 important and I think it's I think it's culturally accurate and accurate to the genre. But we also include having alcohol as a negative element. For instance, with that eccentricity in which yeah. uh, you would essentially be like addicted to alcohol. It's not normal for the characters in our game, at least, to be addicted to alcohol. That's definitely a negative thing that we address as being negative. Um, and you know, you could argue is Hytel, um an alcoholic in the sense of being addicted? Because I think in the genre, for the most part, there, like, it's it's not common for people to be addicted to the alcohol They they exist um but having the high alcohol tolerance um doesn't necessarily equate to alcoholism as we would think of it in the western
0: what you see a lot of are these disheveled characters that have hit rock bottom that drink a lot and those are the like in um in hero shed no tears who's the main not the, the main hero in that movie not 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 the um little little gal, but the, uh, uh, uh Juma. Juma, yeah, Juma. yeah, the Juma. big, big Juma. guy, the big guy. Yeah. yeah. When he hits rock bottom and like his, you know, he, he's been betrayed by his people and he like, was wandering through the rain and he, and he, and, you know, and he, and he says, and he, and he basically denies his own identity. Um, <laughs> you know, moments like that, that's like a moment of that, but also in, um, killer clans, the swordsman who fell in love with the daughter of the sect leader, but then ended up, you know, like a drunk at the brothel. You know, it's like this dr- this former great assassin who's just like you see characters like that but it always seems like it's not it's not usually framed as like addiction as much as it's like uh, like just a decision to just wallow do you know what i mean like that seems to be how it's usually yeah, framed
1: I, I 100% agree and i think that that's i mean we we go into that a little bit in the gm notes in terms of in the cultural implications of alcohol because alcohol is definitely uh, viewed differently in china compared to the west and i totally agree i think that a lot of the there's a, there's a trope in wuxia and probably chinese culture in general of you know you know descending into uh i guess you could say depression or so. maybe you could say depression but where it's like yeah it's like they have no nothing else to do so they'll just they'll just drink and they yeah. and then that's their character but then things turn around and then they don't yeah. drink you know it's everything changes and they don't need to drink anymore so
0: have you seen the movie tai chi master with jet li
1: yeah of course yeah,
0: yeah that's that so in that one like i don't think he actually drinks but he hits rock bottom and kind of goes into a deep depression and goes a little crazy and there's uh um but um uh yeah the the uh i I don't know i, I think you had mentioned also about why the drunken master thing was so prominent and another thought i had was virtual fighter might have had something to do with that as well because the drunken master was a character in i think yeah. the first virtual fighter game and i remember that kind of reigniting interest in drunken master when it first came out and the other thing that too is it's 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 everywhere like there's a are you familiar with the angbok movies from thailand with tony jaa um, yeah i think it was Ongbok two or it might have been Ongbok three i can't remember but in one of the sequels he he basically just does the whole drunken master routine one. like you just like it just it, it's a complete you know homage to drunken master type thing um
1: yeah you know? well i mean i think uh, I, I, what i'm getting at is that i think it entered the the cultural zeitgeist i this is again pure speculation i haven't done any research but you know, the first drunken master movie with Jackie Chan was a hit. And then he followed it up with a second one, which solidified that. Yeah. And I think that, you know, it just looks really cool on screen uh, or in a yeah. game. So yeah. obviously it makes sense to, to put that in there. Um, but it doesn't necessarily reflect in Wuxia at least, um, how that's portrayed. I think that's my point.
0: Okay. No, that's a fair point. Um, I always like drunken master one, the best, um, but uh, I think Drunken Master Two might be more popular.
1: Um, yeah, I mean that, that was definitely extremely influential for me back when I was first starting to get pulled into the whole Chinese movie and culture thing. Um,
0: so, do we want to talk about the poisoning in this movie? Because that was kind of significant.
1: The, yeah, the, I mean we we have a we have poison in the game, and if, this is one of those areas where uh, in where I think we have a good solid chunk of information and resources i wish we could have done more but we just didn't have the room to go into extreme detail about it similar to things like the acupuncture points and other things but we definitely have a good foundation that a gm could either just just draw on what we've provided to make cool content or flesh out into something more like i had somebody i think on twitter asking me if we had uh, a poison sect um and I, I know a lot of people are in, really into that poison sect or clan thing. I, I think it would be really cool to flesh that out. Um, but we do have it in there mechanically. And poison is just such an integral part of the genre that you, I don't think you could do a good wuxia game without including that.
0: Well, and what they do in this movie is they create a situation where the heroes are surrounded by poison. Like the, the, they, go, they go to a place in the woods to rest, and their men sit down and they all get needled. Because there are needles stuck in the stones and the backs of the trees, and then they and they like, oh, well, this is dangerous. Let's move on. And then somebody steps on needles that are in the ground, and then they get to this town, and like, the water in like a three-mile radius has all been poisoned. Um, the you know, there's, there's poison gas that comes out of the walls when the torches hit the brackets and cause the 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 uh, the metal to expand. Um, and this kind of extensive, like, we are going to. Like fully eradicate you with poison is something you see a lot in Wuxia. You see it in like um, Magic Blade when we covered that. Remember they poisoned the whole river to to get at the hero. And in um, was it Sentimental Swordsman? Was that the one where they the whole like they're trying to poison them in the town? There's like an extended sequence where they're trying to avoid being poisoned. Um, Can't remember specifically about that. I can't. It was one of those kinds of movies or one of those kind of Gulong stories. Um, but it's just like it, 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 this, and this movie has a good solid chunk of time dedicated to the whole we have to get away from the poisoning,
1: uh, you know, plot. Yeah, and the poisons that we include in the game, for the most part, are quite brutal. Um, yeah. Even just the standard poison will kill you relatively quickly. So yeah. I think that it's something the GM should highly consider throwing into the game. The one thing we didn't include, me and you talked about this, I think, offline a while back which I actually um, addressed in my most recent campaign, I created a little device to check for poison that's one thing we didn't include we, there, and it's not like it's in every Witcher movie, so it's it's not yeah. like a disaster that we didn't include it um, but it's we never addressed how could characters identify whether something is poison or not, and if I remember correctly um, from Kid with the Golden Arm Hai Tao, I think he like when they go into that room he somehow knows that some of the devices he, are poison. He
0: he knows because he's observant. But um, Mrs. Lang has a has a hairpin that's like silver or something, and she
1: dips it into the water, and is able okay. to determine that it's poison. Um, yeah. So I created a device like that for my most recent campaign yeah. because my most recent campaign involves um, the basically like the poison sect that yeah. we included in the NPC section, and I think that's um, going to be useful um, because when characters are in situations where they're eating or drinking stuff and they don't have control over that, that it's entirely likely that that could be poison, which is what yeah. happened obviously in kid with the golden arm.
0: No. And, and, and I think the standard device in most of the movies at least is, is, is like a silver pin of some kind that you just dip and it turns black if it's poison usually. Yeah. Um, but I've also seen movies where it doesn't work for every poison. So like, you know, there's all like, that's the thing that like, there you're always going to have rules that can emerge to get around any kind of general thing like that. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's just like a, you know, uh, I I think one of the cool things about the wushi genre is it's always expanding on its own lore. And that would apply to your own campaign. If you have a poison that's able to be detected, somebody might invent a poison that isn't able to be detected. And, And, and that, you know, you kind of need to keep expanding and growing things to keep the world interesting. Um, and also this is the kind of thing where you the thing I like about this poison plot is it kind of illustrates okay sometimes as a GM you need to really sit down and think how is this bad guy going to try to dispatch with this party do you know what I mean and how we talk about how iron handed you ought to be or not be in the GM guide and people can reference that section and decide for themselves how full throttle they're going to be like you know in, in a scene like this but whether it succeeds to the max or not you do need to you know you know get in the head of your 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 bad guys and and have their plots be ingenious in the same way that this guy's plots were ingenious do you know what i mean like um uh the other character that i wanted to talk about too because we 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 started talking about uh characters is um uh the the golden arm character as well because uh he's the main bad guy and um and i really like how he's depicted in this movie i feel like it's an example of a of a bad guy that would work well in a campaign because in in light of what i just said he's really vicious he's really young um he's really capable um he's he's a little bit cruel but he's kind of got this honor streak to him he's got this like you know he's got like like uh he, at one point he walks in, they had this really clever ambush to get the gold initially, where they dug a tunnel under the escort company and they stole the gold and ran away and sent a bunch of guys in to, it was a really clever, clever designed attack. Uh, and, and, and I think that's where Brasshead ends up dying. And Brasshead gets killed by three of the heroes and the Golden Arms walks in and he's like, don't worry, I'm going to make sure that I avenge you. Do you know what I mean? And it's like a, it's like a real honor among thieves type thing and it it's sort of like how uh, I don't know I, I like when you have bad guys okay the worst kind of movies or in books are ones where the bad guys are constantly backstabbing each other and never you know they're just like okay I'm just gonna kill you because we're both evil Do you <laughs> know what I mean and, and like the bad guys have no friends and they have no attachments I'm much more interested in bad guys that have people that they're attached to and they're not bad to everybody you know what i mean and and yep. he's that kind of character so i think that that works because i think if you if you have a character like that it gives you a hook for understanding how they'll react when players take certain actions so for example when the philip Quak character the, the 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 character that you were talking about uh when he blinds golden arm at the end because golden arm is his whole thing is his arms are impervious to to weapons basically um so he, he has to blind him in order to beat him but he doesn't kill him and then golden arm is appreciative of the mercy that he shows uh to the extent that when the helen poon character stabs him from behind and he's about to kill her he kind of has a second thought and is like ah it's kind of better to die than retire anyways so you know he it, it just accepts it do you know what i mean it was a very interesting yeah. final decision for the bad guy to make
1: yep yeah yeah i totally agree um
0: so so yeah so so I don't know, is there anything else we want I know we've gone on for like an hour and 20 minutes? Um,
1: uh, I think I'm pretty, I think I'm pretty much pretty much done. so yeah check out the movie. Um, you can find a link to it on my website. It''s, a, it's on Amazon Prime and make sure to pre-order the, the game if you haven't already.
0: Yeah and, and, and that game is coming out December 8th in the US I believe and December 10th in the UK. So it's coming out soon. It's, it's happening a lot faster uh, you know than you think and uh and uh you can you just you know you can pre-order them uh and 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 i don't know and we should we've shown some previews of the interiors it looks gorgeous it's a really gorgeous looking book so you know um it, you know i was surprised by how good everything looked so um so yeah so i guess we'll be back on next time and we'll probably be talking about you know i don't know that uh uh sword identity or whatever movie you would mention a movie to me earlier or another type of film um so so yeah so uh we'll let you go and until next time we'll talk to you later with the laughter comes the rain with my anger comes a tide of emotion killing joy cutting